Welcome to the Modern Therapist's Guide to Nothing. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Modern Therapist's Guide to Nothing, where on each episode we take a topic, theme, or thing, overanalyze it, and try to make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave, and I'm joined here with Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, hey Dave. We do that every time. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, Dave, we've got a big one today. A big... big... I agree. Yeah. I, this, I think this, it's this, classified as a doozy. It's a doozy. Yeah. Depression. It's the big one. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways you can define depression, but... Uh, one of my favorite definitions is a genetic disorder of being vulnerable to a stressful environment. I like that, uh, but depression can be defined in a lot of ways. Like it's sort of this combination of things. One thing, I, one problem I have with that definition, Dave, is it's vulnerable to a stressful environment. And I think that what's rough about depression is sometimes what's the roughest part about it, the hardest thing is it doesn't have to be connected to any stressor at all. So we can just kind of feel this way, feel down and feel depressed when our, everything around us is, should be good. Like, I should be happy. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think that there's a few characteristics, and I know that we're going to kind of elaborate on these more when we talk about symptoms. But when we think about depression, there's a few key words that typically come to mind, right? So we got yes. sadness. We have worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness. I think those are kind of the key phrases I think of when I um, think of the, you know, the term depression, I, I think of those things and, you know, something that I don't know if like the general population is aware of, but there's actually like a time constraint on how long those symptoms should be there before we would actually even classify it as a major depressive episode. Right. Right. Because it's, it's normal to kind of feel those ways. Um Yeah. At any time, you know, it's just when they persist, they can be really difficult. Right. So I think um, the DSM uh, states that, you know, those symptoms need to be present for at least two weeks. And just, you know, the DSM for people who might not be familiar is kind of like the Bible to diagnosis, I guess you would say. So it's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And we're currently on the DSM-5, which I know is also getting um, some revisions to treatment plans. So it's um, kind of this ever-evolving guide to mental health. So Dave, I I think like, yeah, the DSM, and we'll talk about the symptoms, of course. um, But I think that with depression, it's one of those things where you can kind of see it all over someone when they walk in the door. And for me, it's one of the scariest and the hardest things to treat because that that hopelessness, what's worse than that? And it's this sort of combination of, you know, your thoughts, your feelings, and sort of your physiology, like the, the way it makes you feel. Like, so so your, your, your thoughts, like I need to be perfect, I'm not good at anything, nobody likes me, uh, like thoughts like this, couple that kind of make you feel a certain way. They make you feel sad. Maybe they make you feel angry. Maybe they make you feel lonely. That's another big one. Um, Hopeless. And these feelings sort of lead to physical symptoms like fatigue and sleep problems, overeating, undereating, loss of motivation, not doing the things you used to do, no concentration. And this can also lead to like your behavioral responses. Like what, how do how does this all, what does this make you do? 
I mean, makes you kind of like hang out by yourself, isolate, neglect daily tasks, sometimes even, you know, get in, start using drugs or alcohol. It's, it's just, you know, and, and of all these things, of all those things that I just named, I think Dave, most important of all, and I, I think we should touch on this a little bit, is the thoughts. Because I, I think of depression and I think if you take the thoughts away from it, what are you really left with? Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of goes into that saying that I, I hear you repeat, you know, change your, change your thoughts and change the way it will change the way you feel. I mean, I just yeah. totally said that wrong, didn't I? Change but, your pants, change the way you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but, it, you know, if you, if you reframe your thoughts or if you, you get kind of skilled in being able to reframe your thoughts, you essentially get a different outlook on things, which in turn also makes you view things differently and feel better about it. Um, so, but these thoughts that you're talking about are what we call intrusive thoughts, right? Yeah. And yeah. these are the ones that bring you to those really dark places because they will involve themes that are just so hard for us to process when we're sitting with them all day long. So they're themes of guilt, themes of, you know, low self-esteem. So it's like self-loathing or just feeling, you know, inadequate or just really, I mean, we keep saying it, but like really just hopeless, um, right. feeling like a situation can never get better. You know, one of the questions I, I love that we learn to kind of ask people when they're just saying all negative things, it's like, wow, it really feels like you can't see anything positive right now. It's like that thing, Dave, like those, those cognitive distortions, there's a list, right? There's a list of, I don't know, at least 10 of them. And we can kind of that like if you change the way you think you change the way you feel that's what we're that's what we're talking about here and when someone is depressed they they usually isolate and when you isolate you have this like all or nothing thinking and you have you know discounting the positive and jumping to conclusion all these different kinds of cognitive distortions and you don't, and when you're not voicing that to someone to have someone challenge them and be like well maybe you're not the worst person maybe like maybe things aren't so bad maybe it's not hopeless because of this like you can't depression is so insidious because it puts this like cloak over you and you cannot see you can't like orient yourself to the future you think you're stuck in it forever and it's just it's hard to see because you know i always it, it's sad when you're sitting in the room with someone who's really depressed and i said this to someone just recently and you know, when I said, it, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of true. But it was, it's not my quote. It's cut from something, but I don't know what. But I, I was just told this person, I was like, look, like, you know, you're reminding me of a butterfly because a, a butterfly can't see their own wings. And that's like, you know, when there's someone in the room and you they, they, they bring that heaviness in and you're looking at them and you're, you're like, wow, I just wish I could have show them that, you know, there's so many, so many good things about you. There's so many things that so much potential that I want you to see, but this thing is just blocking it. And sometimes that can be so frustrating for us and frustrating for the person because they can't get past the, the veil that depression has put over their eyes. That was um, a pretty sick quote that you just pulled out there. The butterfly one, it works a lot better um, with female patients, but you know, it's not bad. <laughs> Is that from uh, the movie Butterfly Effect featuring Ashton Kutcher? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Uh, I, I had a feeling. Yeah. I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definite, definite. So, you know, one of, one of the other symptoms that comes to mind often um, that I feel like is really persistent with depression and problematic is that idea of losing all pleasure and things you normally get pleasure out of. And I think that's one of the things that makes depression 
so challenging to get out of because the things that normally would make you feel some sort of pleasure, happiness, satisfaction loses those effects. And it's really hard to do anything if you don't get some something in return. And that's why we engage in the things that we like, right? We engage in it for yeah. satisfaction, for, you know, esteem, whatever. But when we're not, when we stop getting those feelings from the things that we engage with, it feels like what's the point? And that's yeah. what you hear all the time. So you and with depression, you also see very nearsighted, right? You don't see long term. So everything, it's like you, it's hard to think back to when things were good. You often ask people, well, when was their last time you were happy? And it's hard for them to recall that sometimes, but it's also hard for them to see the future. So like we can say, well, if you keep doing these things that you enjoy, eventually you'll get your motivation back and you'll feel good. But they can't see that in that moment because all they can see is right in front of them and how it's like a fog, right? It's a fog. It's, it's almost yeah. like they can't see past that fog. That's it's it's so hard. They can't see who they and they and they want to, you know, when you say to them, like, look, like you used to love jogging, but that would pull you right out of this depression. They're like, I haven't brushed my teeth in a week. You want me to you want me jogging around? And it's 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 like almost um it feels inauthentic for them to go out and start jogging. But I and then I try to get through to people and be like, well, what's more like inauthentic? You doing something that you don't feel like doing right now to become someone you want to be or staying in your bed all day. Right. And, and just, you know, and, and and being that way. That staying in your bed thing kind of uh that comes up a lot. And I remember if I if we have time for a quick story. Oh boy. I remember when we, so we're we're in that uh at the Providence Center doing just just oh, uh yeah. Intense, our, our, right? yeah. yeah, just intense. And then so this person comes in and they were saying how you know, I haven't been able to get out of my bed. Like, I'm afraid if I go home, like I won't be able to get out of my bed and I, and I don't know what to do about it. And the woman who was doing the intake made the giant mistake in asking me, well, what do you think what is a good response to this? And I said, what if I set your bed on fire? And the person was like, they were both shocked, right? They were both kind of like, what? And, I, and me too, I was like, well, I mean, I didn't mean, okay. And uh, so, but I, I took that, I learned from it. But in the back of my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, well, yeah, like I kind of want to know what's going to set their bed on fire. Not because I want their bed to be on fire, but I want to know what's going to get them up. What's going to get them? What's that major thing that's going to get them moving? And Dave, we've talked about this before. Like if I left my keys in my house and it was on fire, I'm like, well, there goes my keys. But I left my keys in the house and my kids are in there. I'm I'm breaking through the window. I'm going to find the way. Like all these different sort of interventions yeah. aren't going to matter as much. It's it's about finding that thing that's going to say to that person. That person's going to say to themselves, "I can't do this anymore." So I mean, Greg, what you're talking about right now is arson. <laughs> is arson, which is a felony, and I want you to be aware of that. But also, also, we're talking about the why, right? Yes, the why. And the why is something that's so incredibly important because like I said, you can't you can't get your motive, you can't see the future when you're in that mode because everything seems foggy. You can't see past what's right in front of you. It's the why is that reason you're gonna do what you need to do to get the help you need and to get yourself back on track. Mm -hmm. So for some people, that why is really, really hard to figure out. But most of us have a, a pretty important why that will get us going. It will set our beds on fire. And uh, yeah, yeah. 
and just scare the hell out of us. So yeah, great point, Greg. I think that that's something that has to be developed when you're, you know, if somebody co- is coming in for therapy or something, that's definitely like a, one of our first things that we're going to be trying to identify. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit about how, and let's step away from like the DSM and just kind of talk about like how it, it manifests in people, like in sort of like layman's terms, right? So yeah. depression is one of these things where it's like, you know, we, we could say that it's because of a stress. So you can go into a depression because, you know, you have a breakup or you have you know, you lose your job, whatever, whatever. But also what's, what's really tough about it is, is it comes from the inside and you, you suffer for no reason. Sometimes if you're sad and there's something external that kind of, it's kind of a little easier because it makes sense. But depression is this internal suffering. And it's tough because people on the outside can't see it. Right. I mean, they don't know that you're going through this thing and they, they, they might see your life and say, well, I mean, you know, your life's pretty good, like enjoy it. And, or you should be enjoying it. And that, like, whenever you're saying should to someone, anytime they're not enjoying it, they're feeling like crap. Yeah. And I, you know, I just want to also kind of clarify because earlier we were talking about how when someone comes into the office sometimes for a therapy session, you can almost see it on them. But I also want to just be clear, like there's millions of people that are walking around that you would have no idea that they're also battling depression. So not everybody has the physical features of depression that like, you know, kind of hunched over some people fake it. Some people are really good at faking it. And which is exhausting for them. You can imagine it's almost better when someone comes in and they are, they are kind of like looking like, cause you can see improvements, but if it's someone that's able to hide it, that's, that's really, it can be really difficult because depression is, you know, there's these things it's, it's either, Mental illnesses are ego dystonic or ego syntonic. So they either feel good or they don't. When depression makes you feel bad, which is kind of good because it's it's a motivation for change. The trouble is, as sad depression makes you, you feel bad about yourself. It's like a cloak that goes over you and envelops you. What you used to love has lost interest. The future looks bleak. And it, you kind of feel like it'll last forever. Your emotions aren't regular. You see people cry a lot. They're they're in constant pain. It's just, it's just a scary experience. Um, I, depression's really really hard, Dave. And I don't know the right words to kind of make that clear. It's this internal battle that you're fighting daily. And the good thing about it, the good news is that it's completely treatable, and we have effective ways. And we've seen. I, I mean, I know personally. Uh, I know clients that we've both had have had really good success. Like I've had people come in who are, you know, in a really dark place and and are much better now through things that we've sort of tried. I I was just going to say, when I first started to see people with um, depression, I, I was so eager to get things going. And I approached each situation like it was textbook. So my first instinct was, all right, tell me everything that, you know, you're, you're dealing with. Tell me what you're not doing. Tell me what you wish you were doing instead. And let's make a plan. And we'll, we'll engage in what we call behavioral activation, which is kind of making a step-by-step plan that, you know, is slowly builds up to the person kind of doing activities that are important to them or part of the, like a daily routine. And I would just get so fixated on, we have to do this. Like we're supposed to do this intervention. And then I realized later that like, you can't 
force somebody or rush somebody in this process. And I think one thing I've learned over time is you just got to slow down and meet them where they're at and take your time with getting them. Because if you force someone who's already feeling really, you know, not good about themselves and about their own level of activity, if you, if you start getting really pushy and they're not able to meet your expectation, they're going to feel even worse about themselves. And that was something that like I learned pretty early on. So that I'm glad you mentioned behavioral activation because it's, it can be a bit pushy, but I'm a pushy guy. And I want people to kind of have this, this realization. Like I want them to tell me, who do you want to be? And if, and if this depression, the symptoms and the behaviors that it's causing are getting in the way of who you want to be, then we need to start changing them. And when I, the one thing I take away from behavioral activation that I like a lot is everyone seems to think that, all right, like I, I, I know that if I go to the gym or I know that if I, if I go out and do something social or I don't know, what do people do? We constantly work. But, you know, I, I know if I do this thing, it's going to make me feel good. But I have to wait for the mood to come to do it. That's wrong. So what I try to tell people is, no, the mood doesn't come first. You do the thing. That's- you go to the gym. You go to um, the social event, even though you don't want to, and the mood follows you, right? Yes. When you like, you're, you're never, re- you're not going to regret tr- trying to do things that are going to pull you out of your depression. Exactly. And I'm so like, I started to make diagrams with people to show them how that pattern works because so many people have this idea that like motivation is something you just have. Or, you know, drive is something that's you just have one day, you wake up and you feel driven. No, not, not always and not usually. It starts from like figuring out what you want, engaging in, in parts of that or the whole thing. And then eventually you'll feel good about even starting that process. And that will give you some kind of reinf- reinforcement. And that continues, which will ultimately, eventually, hopefully turn into motivation. Um, but you have to start somewhere though. You can't, you can't sit back and wait. And even, even if you do create these tiny, small moments of happiness through behavioral activation, or even sometimes in the office, the person's going to be thinking in their head, yeah, like I feel happy in this moment now, but I'm going to feel like I'm going to feel sad again later. And that's sort of the insidious nature of depression. It's, but those are just thoughts. Yeah. And you have to remember that if you can create a happy moment and if you could be happy for even like a minute or two minutes or not just be away from the depression for that amount of time, then it's possible to build on that and build on it and build on it until the depression is taking up less space. Like let's not focus so much on the negatives. Let's focus on the positives. But I know that's easier said than done in in the society we live in. A great way for people to take a, a moment of appreciation for those pleasant moments they had, even if they're brief, is asking them to kind of reflect on them later in the day. Like you might start journaling and kind of trying to do some positive journaling and, you know, just write about this, a moment that was not feeling depressed. Um, So something like that. So they can kind of start retraining, training their mind to focus more on identifying the positive. As a society, we hyper-focus on negative. That is easy. I can ask you all the bad things that happen in your day. You are going to readily give me a list of them. When yeah, I ask David, you a bunch right. of good things, it's harder. Right. Or you sound, it's not only that it's harder. It's like, if I came up to you in the hall, in the, in the hallway at work and I was like, you know, Dave, like I got in the car, started right up, man, breathing this in, in this air, it's 
oh, can you believe it? Can you believe that we can breathe like this? And, and, and then, you know, just everything's so positive. I would sound like a lunatic, but if I walk up to you and I'm like, ah, oh, president and the, you know, war and this, and it's just like, yeah, totally completely normal. So it's, it's easy to just sort of fall into the negative thinking, but it's, it's, it's a choice. So for us to, I mean, you see, they see this on scans to take a second to do something that we know is going to be good for us is changing the shape of our brain. It's neuroplasticity. So instead of going to that automatic thought that's negative, try to push it to a positive or taking that negative thought and sort of challenging it and saying, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to get up tight. Well, maybe it'll take me a little bit longer or maybe it's a little bit harder for me to get up, but I can do it. Just changing that thought a little bit carves a new pathway in your brain. Literally like we, they can see it on scans and, I mean, over time, that becomes the natural state of, you know, the easy path. The, the automatic thought is sort of more a positive or at least more realistic. So, you know, getting back to some of the uh, strategies that we or interventions that we like to utilize, um, I think we both use a lot of what we call CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, it's a specific type of uh, theoretical model that. Uh, involves these things called cognitive distortions, which are basically different ways of intrusive thoughts, I guess, or negative thinking. Um, and it tell, it teaches you to reframe that. But we're going to hold off on giving too much uh, talk discussion about that. We'll we'll actually save that for a whole other episode because there is just so much to build on there. Yeah, they're um, going to be on the edge of their seats for the, the CBT. They're waiting <laughs> for it, I know. And yeah, Everybody just got really mad and punched their steering wheel. Just <laughs> oh, like, what is that? Um, but I, I actually thought that for this, it might be cool for just us to talk about theories, um, kind of interventions that we utilize that we've kind of almost molded into our own, not that they are necessarily our own, but just kind of the way that we frame them we've kind of adjusted them for our own styles. And the first thing that, um, I think of is the use of opposite action, which, um, is something that. You know, it's a really simple concept, but I use this all the time with individuals just to kind of help them just see, you know, what is, so this is what you're engaging in right now. What is the exact opposite of that? Um, but to even make it even easier for people to start to um, digest or make it feel easier to start to like get at something tangible, I actually utilize what we call like the entity. And this is something I've talked to you, Greg, a ton about where, you know, because again, it kind of mixes my love for horror movies because I'll, I'll typically utilize that, but it could be whatever a person's interest is. Um, so an entity is I actually get asked someone to start to look at their depressive, their depression as if it's outside of them. So it's not yourself because you are not your depression. There is a whole nother version of you that is, if you were to take depression out of the equation, that would still exist. And that's what I really want to emphasize with people. You are not the depression. So who is the depression? And we give it this, a name, you know, for some people it's, uh, I don't know, Freddy Krueger. Uh, I have this individual I work with who loves sci-fi. So for him, it's the uh, face hugger from Alien. Um, so when he's depressed, we just envision like a fa the face huggers on his face. And we start to talk about what is depression or what is the entity make you want to do? Um, so for some people, it makes me want to stay in bed all day. It makes me have, think really bad thoughts about myself. 
it makes me think I'm worthless. It makes me think that um, I shouldn't bother doing anything with my day. And then I, I challenge them to combat that entity. So we turn it into a villain that we are actively engaging in battle against. So we'll start to utilize the name of it. So like, for example, I'll just say Freddy Krueger is the entity. And, you know, we can say like, oh, I think Freddy's back. And uh, we'll start talking about what does Freddy make you want to do? And how are we going to get an, um, a step up on Freddy? How are we going to combat him this time? So that's something I like to do just because, A, it's kind of fun, but also it's, I feel like it's tangible because you start to envision yourself battling something versus I just need to overcome this thing that's, which is in myself. And that just gets very convoluted and feels challenging. But when you're going against somebody else, it sometimes feels more manageable. Um, So yeah, that's my approach. I I like that, Dave, because my approach is sort of similar, but it's it's sort of along the same lines. So I, I'm like more, I, I like to think of things in terms of uh, philosophy. And I, what I, so, but it's at the, t- at the same time, this is a simple sort of thing that you can do. Um, I like to find the essence of depression. And by finding the essence of something, we need to understand what's invariable and necessary for it to be there. So I, I, first I'll give them an example of like, find something in the room. Like, I mean, I'm holding this, paper cup right now um and i would say like what is the essence of this cup like what are the things it needs to exist what are the things it needs to be a a, a paper cup does it need to be red no does it need to have a sealed bottom so the water doesn't fall through yes and like go through things like that and then we would kind of talk about what does depression need to exist what does depression need in you to stay active so it would need you know you to keep isolating it would need you know sleep problems or poor concentration or neglecting the things that you need to do during the day, not getting out of bed again. Like we, I would, I would talk about all of the ways that depressions manifest in them. And then we would take one of those at a time and change it until we've sort of addressed everything that depression was doing about that, doing to them. And now that depression has lost its power. So the only thing, so I'm trying to take a person and tell them that obviously a person is more than the sum of their parts. We're not just, you know, curly, beautiful hair, like your, yourself and, and like, um, broad shoulders like me, <laughs> you know what I mean though? Like we're not like just legs and arms and flesh and all these things where there's something, if you take about all of our parts and just, and, and name them all, there's something about us that's just more than that. And that's how people feel about depression. But I don't think that's true. I think if we view depression as just the sum of its parts, it's just these symptoms. It's just like, ex- like if that thing, if you take the thoughts away, it's really nothing. It's just sadness, anger, hopelessness, loneliness. And if you take thoughts away from those feelings, they, they're not even, they don't have the same meanings anymore. So I, the idea is that you can just kind of tease all the, the, the power the depression has out of you and be, like rise out of it. I, I get this vision of depression sometimes as it being like poison ivy growing up a tree. Mm-hmm. It, it wraps itself so tightly around the tree that it's almost like feels like it's part, becomes part of the tree. Right. And it's slowly killing the tree at the same time. And that's how depression manifests in people. It, it intertwines so tightly in, in people. It really does make them feel like they are their depression. I was working with someone who had 
felt depression symptoms for so long, they honestly could not tell me who they were without depression. And now that they're starting, their symptoms are starting to subside. They are learning themselves for what feels like the first time. And it's kind of a cool journey to go on with someone, but also shows you how strong depression is. Well, they, they can know that they're not their depression because it doesn't feel good. That's like the simple answer. Because if you were the symptoms, if you were sad and angry and all these things that depression is trying to make you feel like, it would feel good. But since those things don't feel right, it's it's who are, who you are is simply like who you want to be. That's all you are. So helping people understand that. And I, sometimes I do that through like... Um, you know, meaning finding, which I think is a whole other episode in itself. But like, just if you take every, who you are is who you want to be. You know, recently I, I was hearing about this concept that was a little uh, different to me than anything I'd really thought about before. Uh, I started to hear about how they were actually like kind of asking people, well, how can depression help you? Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting question to ask people, because if you think about some people who might not be as motivated to change, there's probably aspects of the depression that are actually helpful to them or maybe allow them to, you know, kind of glide through situations without pushing themselves too hard because it'd be more challenging to have to push yourself in these situations. So for example, if you're not somebody who's really motivated to be social, it kind of gives you an out of having to be social, right? It's kind of a way of being able to say like, oh, I'm just going to stay in, not feeling good today. Um, it, there's things about it that can sort of be useful. Be, yeah, I can you know, see that with like, um, I can see that in art for sure. I mean, in writing, how could you, a lot of like writers or artists, I couldn't come up with the things they, they, they would, depression's part of their tool. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's finding this balance. Like what's what, like if you make something your strength, it can't be your weakness anymore. So it's about finding this balance, really kind of digging in and, and, you know, it's when the, it's when the depression becomes really chronic too, and that it can be uh, really difficult. And um, there's a name for that, actually. There's a, there's a, uh, I mean, there's a definition for it when you're, or a, a diagnosis and it's called dysthymia which is chronic depression. Do you know what that translates to, Dave? No. <laughs> it translates to bad spirit. So someone comes in with chronic depression and you basically tell them, no, yeah, you've got bad spirit. I, I just like, there, there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this. I, I think that um, it's just about how it manifests in the, in the person. Find it, like the things that we're talking about now, like finding out what's useful about it, what's terrible about it, what we want to change about it, who we want to be, and, and what parts of this is getting in the way of it. And Dave, I think that like, um, unfortunately, we are having an episode about depression. So we do have to touch on the topic of suicide. I mean, it'll be brief, um, but it's a serious issue. And we want to make sure people take it seriously when someone talks about it. So, you know, depression, one of the worst things about it is it makes people feel hopeless. Of course, it's not true. But bringing hope back to people is the key. Um, we're making them feel like they're not alone. Yeah. And you know, ultimately finding their why is another, because that's kind of like um, it's your safety net, right? That's the thing that keeps you going. So, and you know, you find that finding, why. Yeah. Like finding that why can be, it's hard work, but 
especially when someone's suicidal, because there's there's a couple, you know, uh, maybe heroes of ours, like Marshall Linehan and, and of course, Frankel, you know, um, they have a similar approach when it comes to a suicidal person. It can, can be kind of shocking. And um, what they do is they ask the person who is suicidal, why haven't you done it yet? I mean, that's that's heavy, right? But if you're looking for the meaning in someone's life, the most important things in their life, this, the answer to this question is going to be really important. So it, why haven't you done it yet? Well, I don't want to like let my, my family down or I don't want to um, let this person down or that person down or you know this loose end. Then you have something to start. You have a starting point to start making them see that if this is something that's important to you, then how would they would feel and there is meaning in your life and, and orient them with the future. And um, another, there's a couple more things I'll say about suicide. Make sure people, it, the most important thing if someone's suicidal is making sure they don't have access to lethal means. That's just practical stuff. Like we want people to have access to, you know, guns, knives, drugs, make sure that's, you know, they're safe from that. And another thing I always kind of mention we're talking about suicide is, is Vincent Van Gogh. Do you know he committed suicide? Yeah. Did you know he committed suicide before the, the world could appreciate him? Uh, isn't that the case with most of uh, the individuals? He had only sold a painting to a friend, um, which is, you know, kind of how I feel about my books. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like this thing, right, where it's maybe he was done with the world, but the world wasn't quite done with him yet. So it's almost this thing where it's like you don't know what the world has in store for you yet. You don't know your importance sometimes. And sometimes you have to go further along in your life to find out what that is. I mean, there's just, there's tons of stories I can tell about people thinking something is so negative about them. And then it come to find out that that's the most important, useful thing about them. They just needed time for it to manifest. If there is somebody, though, that you are concerned about having um, suicidal ideation um, or if you yourself are, are struggling, there is a hotline to call. Uh, 1-800-273-8255. I had to mention, you know, I, I was, I was going through my streaming service. I don't know if I'm not supposed to mention whatever, but, um, when we were young, my sister suffered from depression and she used to call it her depression. And I'm flipping through and I see this comedy special called the great depression. I'm like, Oh, this can't be, this can't be about, um, depression. And I watched it and it was this, really sort of poignant, great comedy special by this guy, Gary Goldman. And it reminded me of this thing that um, I had learned about a while ago called reciprocal inhibition. And the idea is that you cannot be having one strong emotion and another at the same time. So if you're laughing, you can't be depressed in that moment. Or if you're calm, you can't be anxious in that moment. That's why people really like leaning into mindfulness. And that, you know, again, might be another episode. But I think that this thing really kind of, and this guy really did a really good job, I think probably helping a lot of people feel, you know, the universality of it, that they're not, they're out there, they're they're not alone. You're definitely, that's one of the things I want to, I want to get the points I want to get across. You, if you're depressed, you're not alone. And if you try to get help, keep trying. There's a therapist out there that will help you. There's family out there that will help you. There's a friend out there that will help you. Someone understands what's going on. Um, you know, Greg, I want to ask you a question. Do yeah. you think that more people today are depressed or do you think that mental illness in general is a more accepted conversation and topic to have and that we are just more aware of how many people are depressed these days? 
Uh, both favorite. <laughs> and what I what I mean is, uh, I think that yes, we are much more. Um, it's much more appropriate and accepted to admit that you have a, a problem with depression. I mean, um, in, in women more than men, unfortunately, but it, we're, we're getting there. But I also think that the way the mismatch between society and our evolution and the way we sort of have so many more choices now, that the, the more choices we have, the more anxiety we have. And I think that like having... Not, not being unsure, not knowing which direction to go with our lives can stunt a lot of people. And if we're not making the choices that we need to to go further into our lives, then we could end up being sort of depressed. So I think that there is more depression now. So so I guess what a way to recap that would be, it seems like there's a more um, environmentally based stressors, but probably I'm going to make a general assumption. I'm going to say probably not like the biological depressions like the people who just have seasonal affect disorder yeah. is probably the same right but there's a lot more environmental stressors in our society now which would almost like an existential depression yeah yeah well let me give people this little list that i made based on the, the great movie um 10 things i hate about you this is called 10 things depression hates about you and I think this sort of harkens back to, Dave, both your opposite action and my essence. And mm -hmm. it's it's these things that are sort of um, almost universal in depression. If you're doing as many of these things that you as you can, then depression is going to have a hard time. You're, you're cutting back that poison ivy going up the tree with everyone you do. Um, and I'll just kind of go through them. So support. Uh, so that could either be therapy, friends. Your depression loves isolation, and the more that you can get out with people, the better. We have to remember that the negative screams, but the positive whispers. So seek out the positive. Like, be that weird guy in the office that's like, ah, trying to look for something positive in the situations. It's tough, but you can do it. Verbalizing the thoughts and challenging them. Sometimes if you just say those negative thoughts out loud that you're feeling about yourself, they, they come off so irrational that it almost, it, it takes the power away from them. Physical activity, I know people don't want to hear it, but I'm telling you what, the cerebellum has more neurotransmitters than the rest of the brain combined, and that controls movement. We move, uh, we're focusing our attention on something different, and the focus of our attention drives our mood. Mindfulness, you can go to Calm, Headspace, YouTube, and just get some kind of five-minute mindfulness, and it gives you some space from your thoughts. Acceptance is a good one where you're kind of thinking of like, all right, so what what am I getting out of this depression? Like what, what are the good things about it? If, if any at all, sometimes there's not an acceptance is also that like, this is going to be hard for a little while, but I'm going to push through it. So engage in what used to make you happy. It's not an authentic, it's not inauthentic to go do those things that you used to do, even though you don't feel like you want to do them because what's inauthentic is you staying in that bed or staying isolated. That's, that's not you. You want to get out there. That's why you feel like crap. Um, laughter, try to seek out some laughs. TV, you know, friends, make fun of it, you know, find humor in it. The the Great Depression, that that comedy special is a great place to start. Because uh, it's cool because you're like laughing at depression. That's powerful. Um, your diet, your diet can make a difference. I don't really know the, the, <laughs> the exact science of the diet. I know, I'm sure if you eat healthier, you feel better. I just can't speak to it because I eat terribly. And time, 
over time, you know, this thing, these things are just going to get better. Just, just give it some time, patience. If you're working towards bettering yourself and getting better, it, you're going to get there. So be patient. Yeah, that, that time thing gets people. Uh, people tend to put a timeline on their life that they have these markers for. And when they're not at that place at that time, they can be very hard on themselves. And that's where that time starts to come in. Or even the recovery process from these things. It's, it's going to take a while. It's not going to be something. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to recover in a day. Unless you find that, unless you really find that big why. Because that can that can almost have an almost immediate effect. Yeah. Um, the bed on fire could get you right up. Uh, just just remember, guys, like you're you're not alone. And um, you know, reach out to us on the email if you if you have any questions about resources or or anything like that, or if we if we forgot something, or you'd love to have us talk about something different. Um, just yeah. Reach out. Remember that's Modern Therapist Guide to Nothing therapist with an s at gmail.com feel free to email us comments questions concerns um just be nice be nice <laughs> not too much to ask come on guys no. come on come on all right i think so yeah i think that is going to cover our episode for depression for today obviously there's a ton of sub uh conversations that we will elaborate on for in future episodes so please uh keep an eye out for those but everybody uh hope you enjoyed this and have a great day